from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And there are a lot of headlines I want to go through tonight. Listen to this. Uh, You've obviously heard this all day long. The TikTok CEO is being grilled on Capitol Hill. I think the hearing is still going on, or it's just about wrapping up. Um, So we're going to get into that a little bit uh, this evening. We'll get into it a little bit um, later in this segment as well. Uh, We also have... Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg finally uh, putting out a statement saying that it was a false expectation. Uh, This expectation that Trump would be arrested. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg released a letter on Thursday pushing back against Representative Jim Jordan and the Judiciary Committee for what he sees as unreasonable interference into his investigation into former President Donald Trump. what is he called? District attorney. I was going to call him an AG. Forgive me. Uh, District attorney Bragg further said in his that his office would be investigating Trump. And they're doing that for having engaged in violations of the state of New York penal law. This would stem from Trump's uh, Saturday announcement that he expected to be arrested on Tuesday, March 21st, which never happened. Uh, so yet another day goes by. Matter of fact, I think they've announced that nothing is going to happen at least until Monday. But that's where we are. Now, um, Bragg is pushing back, right? He's saying, no, 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 that's not it. And basically saying all of this came after Donald Trump created a false expectation that he would be arrested the next day. And his lawyers reportedly urged you to intervene. Neither fact is a legitimate basis for a congressional inquiry. Mm-hmm-hmm. It is unclear if uh, Representative Jordan or the House GOP were contacted by Trump's attorneys. So Bragg is, uh, he's looks like he's got some sour grapes, right? He didn't say anything when the media has been camped out days. He didn't say anything when Trump said anything. Uh, but now that Congress says, hey, we're looking into you, he says, well, hold on, don't look at me. I thought, you know, he was a Democrat. So he was supposed to say something like, look, if you got nothing to hide, let him investigate you, right? If you, what are you afraid of? If you got nothing to hide, right? That's what they always say to Democrats. You know, I, I for one, I'm going to tell you, I don't want you searching my house, my car, my pockets. I don't want to be investigated or audited. I don't want any of that. I don't care if I have nothing to hide or not. It's none of your business. That's just, that's the bottom line. Anyway, back to the story. And this is in the Post Millennial. The letter did not provide any insight into the investigation or whether the grand jury will return an indictment against Trump. The grand jury was expected to meet this week to consider charges against Trump, but they were released on Wednesday. And while they are expected to sit again on Thursday, uh, nothing happened, right? Nothing happened today. Matter of fact, they're saying nothing's going to happen until Monday. Now, several witnesses, uh, including former Trump attorney Michael Cohen and Robert Costello testified before the grand jury in recent days, and um, only one of them is somewhat credible. So that's the story with that. Now, there's another 
clip that I want to bring you very quickly before uh, we get into our guests and the rest of the topics tonight. And it's of the folks at the Pentagon, right? Because you've got the folks at the Pentagon that are, you know, they sit at these hearings and they, they, they offer the lip service, but it seems like they never really, they never really do anything, at least in my opinion. But listen to uh, General Mark Milley, uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, at a uh, hearing today. Preparation for war and deterring war is extraordinarily expensive, but it's not as expensive as fighting a war. And this budget prevents war and prepares us to fight it if necessary. Now, of course, this is at a House Appropriations Subcommittee, and his testimony is to try and get more money. And this is, you know, an interesting thing. I I think we do need more money, right? You always need more money, but you need to do the right things with it. I don't think you need more money in military spending if you're going to spend it on how to diversify the the, the military that you have and, and teach them new things. I think you need to buy the right weapons, the the appropriate weapons, and and prepare people to to be the next generation of of military that this country deserves and expects. But he didn't stop there. He went on to say that he's here to stop China. This is the same guy that called his friends in China when he thought there might be a problem. Listen to this. The People's Republic of China's actions, moving it down the path towards confrontation and potential conflict with its neighbors and possibly the United States. But again, I say China, war with China is neither inevitable nor imminent. So, Milia, again, is kind of good at this, right? It's not inevitable and it's not imminent. That's literally, it's yes and it's no. It's maybe and so, all at the same time. <laughs> That's exactly how he works. Like most politicians, they speak out of both sides of their mouth. Everything's A-OK. Now, in other news, you've got the... Um, CEO of TikTok. Now, this is we're going to get into this in depth, but I want to give you a little snippet of what happened uh, today earlier with um, Representative Eshoo. Listen to this. How can you promise that uh, that that will move into uh, into the United States of America and be protected here? Uh, Congressman, I have seen no evidence that the Chinese government has access to that data. They have never asked us. We have not provided. Well, you know what? I've I asked that, that. I find that actually preposterous. I have uh, looked in. I have seen no evidence of this happening. (laughs) Great. So this guy's terrific. Then in another question, they ask him, they say, hey, listen, uh, Mr. CEO, um, you know, we think that um, that that you guys are spying by taking the user data. And he says, well, that all depends on how you define this word spying. Right. It reminded me, it was so Clinton-esque. It reminded me of Slick Willie when he said, uh, well, you know, that that depends on what you mean by the word is. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I guess it does matter how you define the word is. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk about TikTok a little bit more. We're going to talk about uh, the Trump case a little bit more. And we're going to do that with former White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer. You know him as a TV host nowadays. He's also got a brand new book out, so we're going to connect with him straight ahead. We're also going to uh, get into the TikTok fiasco with uh, Professor of Political Science at Suffolk Community College and the host of the PAS Report, Nick Giordano. He's going to be coming up after that. And then uh, later on, we're going to connect with Professor Mark Hall, He's a professor of politics at George Fox University. Professor Hall's a good guy. I've had him on the show uh, several years ago. 
and uh, he's got a new book out, uh, Proclaiming Liberty Throughout All the Land, How Christianity's Advanced Freedom and Equality for All Americans. So we're going to look at uh, religious liberty in America and have a conversation on that. And of course, your calls, you're welcome to join the conversation. The phone number is 833-482-5337-833, the number four, Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. Our telephone number is 833-4-VALDEZ, and that's Valdez with an S if you want to chime in or check us out on social media. And our guest is Sean Spicer. You know him as former White House press secretary and the host of Spicer and Company, along with Lindsey Keith on Newsmax TV, which is back on DirecTV, and we'll get to that uh, straight ahead. But first, I want to welcome Sean Spicer to the program. Sir, welcome. Hey, Rich. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. You bet. Now, I want to jump right into this because I think the biggest story of the day is the fact that there's no indictment against Trump. And Alvin Bragg has released a statement saying, well, no, 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 this isn't my fault. This is Trump's fault because he went out there making these false expectations saying he was going to get arrested. And by the way, we don't like Jim Jordan for asking questions along the way. How do you, what do you make of that? Well, look, you know, the funny thing is I'm not a lawyer, but we've had one on the show every day, and I'm asking the same question you are, which is I don't get it because, you, you know, we're supposed to have seen this. And it wasn't just Trump. I mean, I get that Alvin Bragg wants to put this on him, but it was a memo that he sent to his staff. It was all these law enforcement agencies right. gearing up. So something – it wasn't just Trump. I mean, let's let's face it. It's Alvin Bragg, and, and I've asked – I asked Alan Dershowitz this on my show yesterday. I said – what is this weird? And he said, no, I think that this Costello testimony uh, has rattled these folks. And I think that they're reassessing their strategy. Now, it's weird because as a non-lawyer, I've always heard that phrase, you can indict a ham sandwich. And I thinking, sure. OK, like maybe this isn't a ham sandwich anymore. Maybe this really is a little bit more difficult than meets the eye. Um, and I think that this letter that has come out uh, where Michael Cohen on the stationery of that law firm um, – uh, what is it, William and Emery saying, hey, look, I did mm -hmm. this on my own accord. I got no uh, compensation from either the campaign or from the Trump organization is really calling into question the credibility of Michael Cohen, which I don't think it took a letter to call into question the credibility of Michael Cohen. <laughs> right. Um, you know, so I, I do think that they are probably reassessing their strategy. Um, and and it'll be interesting to see because they've given us a, a pause and said, well, we're going to wait till next week. But so Monday to me is going to be the real tell. What happens on Monday? Do they buy another day or two? Uh, or was this really just uh, an excuse to go, you know, enjoy a day in Central Park? I don't know. But it seemed odd to me because everything from the law enforcement uh, to everything else was setting this, self, setting this up as that this was going to happen. And the rumors you saw was, well, it was going to be the indictment and then the arrest would be made next week. And so you know, I, I sort of I looked at this week as a setback for Alan Bragg in his case. And then the other thing that I thought was interesting is Chuck Schumer, 
it doesn't take much to get animated or excited. Yeah. Really had this tempered um, enthusiasm when asked if he had a confidence in Bragg and his case and said, well, you know, I, you know, we'll have to see where it goes. And I thought that's not normally how Chuck Schumer reacts. Of course. So something, something was a little amiss uh, in, in the swagger of the left in the last 24 hours. Yeah, I agree. And I think you're putting it generously. I want to say that this case is imploding, right? I mean, because really, and and I think it was brilliant of Trump to to put them all out there and say, all right, come and get me in in many ways. And and now all of a sudden, now nobody's coming to get him. And it's masterful because they're scrambling, right? You've got Schumer going, uh, do you have confidence in this guy? Well, well, uh, uh, he's stuttering. Everybody's stuttering. Um, uh, Bragg stuttering. Nobody seems to be able to answer. And, And Trump is, you know, he's skipping along, skipping to his loo. And I'm sure he's nervous and he, you know, he's dealing with real life. But at the end of the day, it seems to me that this doesn't look good for Bragg. It, it seemed like a very thin case to begin with, and it looks even worse now. I think you're right, uh, the point you made about the Costello testimony and the Cohen letter. Uh, but I, I think also the, the, the media frenzy that they were camping out. I, I was getting coffee today. I get coffee at the same Cuban place every day. And a guy comes in and he says, man, I had to go to this government building took me hours and hours and they were like why and he said oh because the media is camped out everywhere all over the city you can't get through any of the streets half of them are closed down because you know they're all waiting to lock up trump (laughs) and i thought to myself man if the the media always knows what's going on right uh and you know this better than anybody being former white house press secretary they always get uh, a scoop from somebody so if they were hanging out it's because they thought it was going to happen too exactly well they're getting tipped off right that's the mm-hmm. thing is that none of these guys, they all have their sources. I mean, we've all seen this. Remember, every time that someone on the right gets arrested or their house raided, CNN's right there. They're just sleeping over the day be before. <laughs> exactly. And so they all seem to be tipped off. And so when all of these uh, barriers are starting to get put up in law enforcement, it's because uh, because of this. So, I, you know, that's what I think is, is worrying these folks on the left, whether it's Schumer or, or the folks over at CNN or MSNBC, the New York Times, is that I think they're starting to go, we got a little giddy, we got over our skis. Um, and, and, you know, what I know you were saying that I, I'm being a little generous, but I think I'm, I'm nervously optimistic. And I yeah. think that I'm saying to myself, because here's the thing, and I, and I mean this all honestly, like I'm not a lawyer, right? And so I keep, I keep looking at this and I say to myself, okay, I understand that these things have a statute of limitations, right? It's mm-hmm. two years for a misdemeanor bookkeeping, which is what this is. And then if you if you can mash it with something else and make it a felony, it's five years. Well, I'm not that smart, but I do know basic math. And 2016 plus two is 2018, 2018. 2016 plus five years is 2021. Both of those years are <laughs> way before 2023, right? So I can figure this out even through a liberal arts education and go explain to me how even a non-lawyer can say that we're well past it. Right. And, and everyone says yes. And I go, okay, then I don't understand this. Like what, what am I missing as the non-lawyer here? Because the first thing I would think of when you go to, to move forward in a case like this is, Hey, didn't we miss the by a lot? Right. And and I remember, I mean, honestly, it was funny. This is, and I'm being dead serious. Like we were cleaning our basement the other day and, and I found a lottery ticket. And um, and I went to go scratch it off. And my daughter, who's 12, said to me, Daddy, is it expired? Right. We we literally had that that initial impression and reaction with a lottery right. ticket. So why wouldn't a lawyer say, hey, by the way, 
are these statue of limitations, you know, st- still in effect? And you go, no, no, I'm sorry. We actually missed the boat on them. But if, if my 12 year old daughter can think about that with the respect to a lottery ticket, wouldn't you think that, that a lawyer would be saying, Hey, I think we're a little late on this. And in fact, and I, I keep thinking to myself when, every time when these folks in the media report on this, they overlook this, right? They, they don't even mention that all of the scenarios take, have to take into consideration. Is there actually a statute of limitation with these charges? And in fact, there is. It's well past the expiration date. Um, and, and I would, if I were a Trump lawyer, I mean, I would just be saying, hey, this is really a silly thing. But I also am worried that we have a judicial system right now that is so willing to overlook the basics of, of the system because it's in pursuit of getting Trump. And that's very problematic when we uh, kind of, you know, turn on what we really stand for just because it's that guy. And and, uh, I agree with you. I think that's very problematic. Let me remind everybody, we're on with Sean Spicer. He's the host of Spicer and Company with Lindsey Keith on Newsmax TV, former White House press secretary. And he's the author of a new book called The Parrots Go Bananas. We're going to talk about that in the next segment. Uh, Sean Spicer, in uh, the minute or so we have remaining, what as you know, you're a professional media guy and has served at the highest levels of media in, in the Trump administration. What do you advise the the campaign or Trump himself to do um, right now? As, do you think he's nailing it with the strategy he's using? Uh, do you think he should kind of lay low? What would be your advice? Well, I, I would, you know, I, I would riff a little off of what I just did, which is to remind people of, of the legalities of this, right? Because I think part of this is that, you, you need to remind people what the law is uh, because you don't want them litigating the merits of it. I mean, at the end of the day, what this really comes down to is did you or did you not pay money to somebody who's an adult actress, uh, you know, to keep quiet or not. And, and I don't know that that ever is, is in your favor or not. What, so whether or not that the money did change hands and Michael Cohen did or did not do anything, that's never going to be a winning hand. Right. Yeah. So I would just say, look, at the end of the day, the events that they're talking about occurred in 2016. There's a statute of limitations in New York. It's two years. Uh, we're well past that. And this is, you know, therefore a political witch hunt, plain and simple. And I think most people get that. And I think just stick to the facts, lay it out, and most people will, will be on your side. All right. That's Sean Spicer. We're coming straight back to Sean Spicer, and we're going to discuss his new book, The Parrots Go Bananas, as well as him on Newsmax, being back on DirecTV. We're going to talk about that as well. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night. We'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything wherever you listen.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And we're on with former White House Press Secretary. No, not Jen Circle back Pasaki. No, not her. And no, not Karine Jean-Pierre. The, the one that actually got the job done, Sean Spicer. He's the host of Spicer & Company on Newsmax TV, and he's got a brand new book, The Parrots Go Bananas. Sean Spicer, tell us about uh, Newsmax being back on DirecTV. Well, look, um, you know, this is something that our, our leadership uh, and our CEO, Chris Ruddy, um, they were trying to strike a deal uh, at the beginning of the year to get what they call carriage, which means paid for our content. They had struck a deal with with several carriers, uh, other distributors, Fios, um, the national cable uh, p- providers, um, and, and then went to DirecTV and said, you know, here's the deal we'd like to strike with you. Uh, DirecTV balked at that deal and took us off the air. Um, Chris Ruddy, our CEO, led an effort to make sure that uh, our, our our watchers, our loyal viewers, uh, had their voices heard. Uh, he called in support from all sectors. Of, of, frankly, I think the conservative world, uh, but not just the conservative world, I think people who support free speech uh, and, and supported hearing from different sectors of of you know, idea of, of the spectrum. I think for a lot of people, even people who aren't necessarily political, want to make sure that there is a, a variety of choices available to them. And so I think people by, by the tens of the thousands called um, DirecTV and had their voices heard. They called their members of Congress. And, um, you know, I'm not privy to those discussions. Uh, obviously, I'm a host. I'm not in, in the leadership of the company. Uh, but but Chris and, and the, the leadership team, continued to uh, negotiate with DirecTV, and, and they came to a settlement the other day, from what I understand. And we are back up on, on DirecTV on channel 349. Uh, luckily, I have DirecTV, so this was a great thing for me personally, because now I can watch my own <laughs> show again at, at 5 o'clock. It was the last few, um, the last few months have, have been difficult because I, we, you can always watch Newsmax for free, which is great on the app. Uh, and on YouTube and things like that. So it's been, it's, it's, it's just more difficult in the morning. I have to toggle between, you know, the app or YouTube and, and, you know, uh, the, the other cable stations that I, I'm, I'm a news junkie. So I literally just, I'm constantly flicking, which to the annoyance of my wife and kids. Um, but, you know, cause I want to see what other guests and segments are being covered. It's just how I've always been. And, um, and so it, it was, it was challenging to go between the app and the thing, but now I actually can stay on, you know, just keep going on around TV. the horn on direct TV. So it was nice to be back on. And I, and hopefully, uh, you know, today was our first day back. So it'll be nice to, to see that, that back and allow those 13 million users, including myself with direct TV to be back on the air. Yeah. And I don't want to put you into a corner. Um, so, you know, if there's anything you can't say, don't say it, but, um, I think it's interesting how DirecTV, it, it seemed to me that this was beyond just the business as usual. It seemed like they were striking deals with a bunch of other channels and uh, they had no issue, but they did have an issue with Newsmax, who was not even asking for the same amount of money these other channels were asking for. And I think it was that effort. And I know there were several hosts from Newsmax that came on this program and we you know, we were pounding the drum at, you know, I want Newsmax.com. And right. And it's one of those things where I think, you know, it, the people spoke, like you said, you know, kind of the entire uh, conservative world and those who, who may not consider themselves conservative, but supported uh, the ability to hear whatever they want to hear. And and I think it, it put 
this big corporate behemoth uh, on notice saying, you know what, there's a lot of people out there. You don't want these people. Well, to get you, you know what, Rich? So I will say this, and I know you you and your audience were a big part of this, right? I know you, you had a lot of folks on, as you said, you were a big part of this. But what, what this showed me, and I actually had, I, was, I spoke at CPAC a couple of weeks ago, and I talked about this uh, because this ESG woke agenda that's been going on, and I think this kind of ties into it tangentially. But I think that what conservatives have been seeing for a while, and, and the, the panel that I led at CPAC, I had Andy Puzner on. He was the former chairman of CKE Restaurants, would include like Carl's Jr., and he had a great piece of advice. He was like, you know, look, we, we, we not just have to have our voices, or, but we have to tell people why we're doing it. And I think that one of the things that people on the right are seeing is that when they voice their concerns, when they act, we can win. And we're chalking right. up these wins. Like Don Jr. had his uh, his bank account canceled at PNC Bank not too long ago, and people kind of were outraged. And they immediately, you know, uh, reinstated it and claimed it was no big deal. And, and my point is, is that they expected us for a long time on the right to just kind of roll over and, and be quiet. And I think that we have started to realize that we we are a voting block. We are a very strong economic block, and that if we have our voices, we're heard, we're loud. Um, and I think we've always done this in a very respectful way. We're like, great. And I think that one thing in the direct TV example is people were very vocal and some people canceled, mm-hmm. some people called, they called their member of Congress, they called direct TV, they had their voices heard in it. But I think that we're seeing this in so many instances over and over again, where companies are standing by and watching a segment and saying, okay, we, we can't go that woke anymore. We need to dial it back. And I think that we, the left has been really good at this over the last decade. And I think that the, the right is, is perfecting this. And we, you know, I don't think we've been as good at it. And finally, in the last maybe 18 months, I've been really impressed over and over again with one battle and after another where folks on the right have really gotten great at saying enough's enough. We're going to push back. We're going to fight. We're going to have our voices heard. And we've been very successful. And I just, it's been great watching it. It took a little while to perfect. And I think we did this with, with talk radio for a while. The left dominated sure. uh, the mediums. And then we, we found our voice, you know, no pun intended in talk radio. And suddenly the, the left went nuts because they were like, what do you mean? And we did the same thing on the internet for a while. The left owned, you know, at the, in the, in the, in the nascent days of the ad uh, of the internet, they sort of were dominated. And then we, we were like, Hey, wait a second. We're really good at this. And sure enough, we we started to really again dominate and and so I, again I think the right sometimes we might be a little bit behind the eight ball but slowly but surely we it's it's like the tortoise and hare might be a little bit yep. longer of a race People, but we win and they raise their voices you could say they're going bananas now speaking of bananas let's talk about <laughs> the parrots go, go bananas uh, yeah. this is your new book the parrots go bananas let's uh, let's get the scoop on that. So look, I've written three serious books, um, and and I got approached by Brave Books. Um, now they write these; they have a series of children's books that are patriotic and Christian. Kirk Cameron's written a book for them. Bethany Hamilton, the surfer. Jack Posivik's written a book for them, um, and they they write them as part of these series. Uh, so it's recurring characters, and they approach people who might have an idea that fits within their wheelhouse. And they approached me, and I said, you know, I know politics, and I know the media. And they said, well, okay, let's brainstorm a little. And I came up with this idea of doing something about, like, the dangers of fake news for kids. And so we don't talk about fake news. We don't talk about the media. But I have two 12-year-old kids, and we talked about what kids face in terms of being accused of things, something, un, you know, that's not that's – not, 
true. And then how kids sometimes pile on. And, and we see this, like, if you think about the case of Nick Sandman and Covington Catholic High School, for example, I've dealt sure. with my own circumstances. But, like, you get accused of something, everyone in the, in the, in the you know, mainstream buy, jumps on the bandwagon, piles on. And a lot of times I talk to my kids and they'll tell me about something that happens at school and everyone piles on. And then, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours a week later, everyone finds out, oh, guess what? They really didn't do it. And by then the bell has been rung. And so for me, being part of this thing with Brave Books, where we're kind of helping to teach kids something. And so the books that these guys do are aimed for kids that are four to 12. So if your kids are younger, you can read it to them. If your kids are older like mine, they read it to themselves. But the beauty is I know as a parent how many forces are coming at my kids, right? Books, magazines, songs, stuff on the internet, stuff on television. And I'm always kind of looking over their shoulder. And with the cool thing with Brave Books, and, and especially you know my book, The Parrots Go Bananas, is that you can literally give them the book. You can go right now if you sign up. It's only a dollar to actually get the book, and then you can actually um, sign up for the Freedom Island Book Club. And again, you get then you start getting one a month. Um, and, and you know that the kids are going to learn something, but something that you don't have to worry about. We're not jamming a woke agenda down their throat. It's, it's all about kindness and virtues and, and, and Christian values and patriotism. And, you know, Dan Crenshaw wrote one of their books about bravery. And it's just like, I, it's for me as a parent, I can sit there and say, here are all the brave books, go read them and not have to worry that I'm going to have to come on and explain something about like why, you know, a girl is a boy and a boy is a girl and, you know, at, at <laughs> 10 years old or nine years old. And I, I love what they're doing at brave books. And I was happy to be part of it. And again, for me, I was like, look, I was like, I can only write about so many things that would be attractive. And we brainstormed this idea of talking about what it's like to be a kid and accused of something and then having everyone else pile on. But like I said, there's exercises in the back of the book. So what we can teach kids is maybe don't be one of those kids that jumps on the bandwagon. Maybe you can be one of the ones that does the right thing and questions, you know, is, is, is this person in the book, my characters in this book, are good upstanding, you know, members of their village. Uh, we, it's mushroom, it's a place called Mushroom Village, right? And they're, 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 and everyone's, and so they're like, they literally ask the other citizens, they go, guys, what have we ever done that you guys would ever think that we would cheat and do something bad? And they're playing this game of the equivalent of baseball. And, uh, and they were like, why would you think we would do this? And it was like, you're right, we shouldn't have, we should have thought first. And, and so it's something that I teach my kids all the time. You know, would you want to be, you know, accused of something that you were, weren't guilty of? And what would you feel like to pile on? And so therefore, if you see that happening to somebody else, maybe think twice, maybe be the, maybe be the bigger person and, and help, um, you know, defend against this kind of stuff that's happening. So um, it's, I think if we don't start teaching kids young um, and combating this woke agenda and this stuff the stuff that's getting fed their way. Yeah, then, then we're, that's, that's their goal is to indoctrinate them young. And so if we don't provide a counter to that, uh, then, then this is what's going to happen. And I get it. Again, this gets back to what you and I were just talking about with mm -hmm. starting, you know, being able to, for conservatives to get some wins. The left just keeps going younger and younger. And, and so what, what Brave Books has been able to do is start to say, fine, then let's develop good, wholesome, patriotic Christian material that, that you can feel confident either you're going to read to them or they're going to read to themselves, but it's going to be a lesson that, uh, that you can feel confident in and, and not be worried about it. 
The book is The Parrots Go Bananas. Check it out on Amazon.com. Is there a website specifically for the book, Sean? Yeah, I mean, literally, if you go to if you go to, well, I mean, you can go to spicerbook.com, but the the easiest thing is literally is bravebooks.com. They all end up in the same place, but it's bravebooks.com. And like I said, there's when you plop there right now for the month of March, and it is the 23rd, so there's only seven days left. For the month of March, for one dollar, you can get the book, and then you you get you know you begin a subscription to the Freedom Island Book Club. You can buy it just as a one-off as well, either on Amazon as you said or at bravebooks.com. But if you if you want it for a dollar and then you get all the other great books that come once a month to your home. Um, and again, it's a, if you're a grandparent, it's a great or a parent. It's a great thing to give as a gift, um, you know, to a godson or to a grandkid or whatever. Uh, but, you know, and then obviously I've got a link to it at SeanSpicer.com as well. Outstanding. Well, Sean Spicer, you're a gentleman and a scholar. Thanks for your service to the country. Thanks for the book. And thanks for the great show you put on every day. It's part of my show prep every day. I definitely check it out. Uh, <laughs> thanks, I Rich. appreciate it. All right, brother. Uh, thanks again. Hope to have you back soon. And we're going to continue with our conversations uh, when we come back. But first, a couple of calls and a few more headlines and a couple of clips of audio. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And again, you're welcome to join the conversation, our late night national town hall forum, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. So, of course, uh, today was a busy day on Capitol Hill while everybody was, you know, camping out, waiting to see, are we going to put El Trompito in jail today? El Trompito, Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States, El Presidente. Well, Alvin Bragg was saying, no, 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 this is your fault, not mine. I'm not locking you up because you said I was going to lock you up. Really, um, things kept going, and AOC was up to her old tricks, all out crazy. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, she was blasting the Republican Party and saying that the parents' uh, rights bill, uh, which... You know, in Florida, they, they, they've called it the don't say gay bill. And now there's another bill that's uh, up for debate. And she's saying that this one is fascist. Now, I, I find this interesting. I mean, it doesn't surprise me, right? This is one of those situations where you say, well, it's disappointing, but not surprising. Because it's AOC we're talking about. But lo and behold, uh, you know, even AOC can pull out a few things to surprise you every now and again. Uh, listen to this. I think what we're seeing here today is the Republicans' attempt, Republican Party's attempt, to take some of the most heinous legislation that we are seeing passed on the state level to attack our trans and LGBT, as well as people from marginalized communities, right to exist in schools. This All right, hang on a second. Hold on. Before she gets into the flowery language, uh, there isn't bill anywhere. I have not seen a bill anywhere that's attacking anybody, right? When you tell somebody that parents have a right, a, a right to, to be involved in what, what their children do in school, that they have a right to know that their child is, is going to school and dressing up as, as the opposite sex, 
that, that's not none of the parents. That's exactly the parents' business. And this is what the debate is about. Not this particular bill, but I, I'm talking about overall this movement. There's a lot of people here uh, that, that are feeling a certain kind of way, realizing that, you know what? Parents need to be in charge of their children. It's A, it's the, the, the rule of, of the land. It's the law of the land. And it's just how things are. But there's a, a daily, there's a daily attack on parental rights. And it seems that she says this is an attack on marginalized communities to, to exist in schools. No, it's not. And again, I mentioned this, you know, I try not to bring my kids into this stuff too much because, you know, my little one's still in school, but she brought it up to me and she was like, oh my gosh, the other day I went to the bathroom and I sh I've shared this before, but I'll reiterate that she went to the bathroom or she tried to go to the bathroom and, um, and or she saw a transitioning student uh, that she knew previously as a male and they were in the girl's bathroom and she didn't feel comfortable being in the girl's bathroom with this person. So she left. And she asked the teacher uh, that was there, because um, there's like a hall monitor or whatever, and she says, um, students that are trans, don't they use the unisex bathrooms that are throughout the school? Uh, and, and the teacher tells her, I think they are allowed to use whatever bathroom they want to use. And she was like, really? Because like, what if, you know, somebody wants to change or something? <laughs> and she, so she goes and asks another teacher and the other teacher reiterates, yeah, no, they can use whatever uh, bathroom they want to use. And, you know, so my kid had to go and wait and find another bathroom. Um, so anyway, bottom line here is AOC says that we're attacking marginalized communities. The marginalized community are the parents. There's more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue with this audio and her flowery language, quote unquote, parental rights and freedom. We'll talk about that as well as your calls. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, now forgive me, I had interrupted AOC, all out crazy, my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, when she was talking about the flowery language of quote-unquote parental rights and freedom. Listen to this. Language of quote-unquote parental rights and freedom hides the sinister fact of this legislative text. If you notice in these arguments, they are not really discussing what is actually in this legislation. It includes two provisions that require schools to out trans, non-binary, and LGBT youth, even if it would put said youth in harm's way. One of the highest rates of youth... She's talking about uh, is outing them to their parents. This is the part where this woman who is not a parent has never had a child and apparently doesn't understand natural law. But parents, there is a compulsory responsibility to care for minor children that belong to you. If they're under 18, you're responsible. That's the law. It's also the right thing to do as a parent to sit here and, and, and argue as a congressperson to say that somehow teachers have a right to protect children. And listen, this is a real thing. You've got doctors that subscribe to this. There's a lot of people on this bandwagon that say, look, we know what's good for your kid. Your kid knows what's good for your kid. You're only mom and dad. You don't know a damn thing. 
Anyway, we're going to talk about that and TikTok and so much more with our buddy, Professor Nick Giordano. He's coming up straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. It's America at night. Plus our phone number, 833-482-5337. Taking your calls as well. America at night with me, Rich Valdez, returns right after this. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program. If you want to join the conversation, our late-night national town hall from New York straight to Alaska, give us a call, 833, the number 4, Valdez, 833-4-Valdez is the phone number. And, of course, you could chime in on social media as well, at Rich Valdez with an S. Now, some of the things we're talking about right now are headlines. The jobless claims have dropped to 191,000. We'll get to that at the top of the next hour. We're also looking at some stories coming out of San Francisco where lawmakers are looking to create a $50 million reparations office. Now, the other day we saw they were looking to get $5 million a person. So $50 million office isn't going to go very far. We'll find out what's going on with that a little bit later on as well. We're also going to talk about what happened today with the TikTok CEO in the hot seat. And to do that, we're going to bring in our buddy, Professor Nick Giordano. You know him as a professor at Suffolk County Community College. He's also with Campus Reform. Professor Nick Giordano, welcome to the program, sir. Thanks for having me on, Rich. And when do we get $50 million office space? Yes, absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting, absolutely <laughs> waiting for, for my uh, lottery ticket. <clears throat> Uh, my reparations lottery ticket. So listen to this. I want you to hear this clip of audio, right? There's a clip of audio of the CEO of TikTok. Now, this is the new CEO because the last CEO wasn't, uh, I guess, viewed uh, as loyal enough to the Chinese Communist Party and President Xi. So, you know, he he found his way uh, to the door and, you know, there's a replacement. Uh, but today he's been uh, in the hot seat all day and there's a lot going on. This is Shu Chu, and I hope I'm saying that right, the CEO of TikTok, and basically saying, look, um, yeah, maybe, maybe not. I don't know, you know, if the, we have access to Americans' private user data. Listen to this. Do ByteDance employees in Beijing have access to American data? Uh, Congressman, we have been very open about this. We have relied on global interoperability. You yeah. have... Access to American data. Congressman, I'm answering your question. If you give me just a bit of time. We, we rely on global interoperability, and we have employees in China. So, yes, the Chinese engineers do have access to global data. You have access to global data. So this access to global data, is this the uh, every last bit of the data that's in their app, that's in your phone, that's, you know, that they could pinpoint and target and use to sell you everything under the sun just by saying it? Absolutely. At least it is, in my opinion, Professor Nick Giordano. What say you? 
Well, it actually goes deeper than that. And I wrote a piece for Campus Reform talking about how China has the most sophisticated espionage, intelligence gathering, and influence campaign that could possibly exist. And it's been going on for years. Finally, we're seeing Democrats and Republicans actually come together and agree on something. But TikTok is nefarious for several reasons. First of all, it influences and poisons the mind of young people. You ask young Americans today what they want to be when they get older. Many of them will say influencer, where if you ask many Chinese children what they want to be when they get older, they say astronauts. When you look at the messages that are constantly being beamed to the children, it is toxic. It's like a poison. And they just show them the worst of the worst. Where in China, they're showing what it means to be a productive citizen, what it means to be help your neighbors, to give back to your community. And so the lessons are very different from what you'd see in the Chinese version of TikTok. But it's also a spying app. And we need to understand that. You know, a lot of people forget, but in 2014 or 15, China hacked into the Office of Personnel Management's database and accessed all the people with security clearances, got all their records, including their, their forms that literally have almost every aspect of your life listed on them, including your job positions, job titles, so they know who's working for the defense contractors, who's not. They know who has secret clearances, who has top secret clearances. It has children's information on there. And then just a few months later, they hacked into one of the credit reporting bureau agencies, got all those records. And so they look for people that are in financial debt, have security clearance, work for some uh, top companies out there. Maybe they could do some industrial espionage or, or get into the defense contractors and try and coerce some of the employees that may have debt issues. But when you look at TikTok itself, well, this can serve as a recording device, too, right? So we know apps can access cameras and microphones on the phone, even if you're not using the app. So who's to say that they're not trying to narrow down, okay, you have a defense contractor at Lockheed Martin who's in a senior position. The children has TikTok on the phone. Let's access the camera and microphone. Let's listen in to what's going on in the home. And maybe something will happen that we could later use against that person for blackmail or coercion. And that's how deep this could potentially go. Now, we don't have evidence that that's taking place yet, but there is something, there's growing concern about what's going on with TikTok and how it is a spying operation, but it's also an influence campaign on the American young minds. You know, this is the modern day definition of a Trojan horse. Yeah, I think you just stated it perfectly. I don't think there's a better way to explain what TikTok is. So I want to pull the uh, the thread here on influencers. One influencer that I follow and I like is uh, Chaya Rashik. She's the founder of Libs of TikTok, right? It's a TikTok uh, account and a Twitter account yep. and an IG account. And uh, she... Um, she made her comment at today's hearing as well, and uh, I'd like to get your reaction to it. Listen to this. TikTok is a weapon being used to groom our kids. Every single day in America, our children are under attack. Predators are lurking everywhere, trying to get access to your children to groom them. They're in classrooms, hospitals, colleges, and of course on social media, mainly TikTok. Some estimates claim that nearly two-thirds of American teens are on the app. TikTok is designed to attract our impressionable youth. 
and groomers and predators know this and are using it to their advantage. What do you make of that? Do you, do you think that's actually happening? Is she just blowing smoke? What do you think, Professor Nick Giordano? You know, I, I mean, I can't say that, that that's this is an organized and targeted campaign of groomers trying to capture the kids and, and poison their minds. I mean, the reality is that she's able to go on TikTok and get all these videos. So it tells me that the people that are putting out these videos aren't too smart to hide what they're doing in the classrooms because they are, she's the one that's actually exposing them and they continue to put the videos out there. But like any social media platform, the more videos you watch, well, that's what's going to be curated for you when you go on these platforms. And so that's why she's able to easily get these videos because she's the one that, actually goes on and looks at what these teachers are teaching in the classroom, what they're saying when they're outside the classroom and how they're trying to influence children. And then she's exposing them and bringing them to light. So yeah, it is a poison because this is out there and there's actually teachers doing it. But in a sense, she's actually making the argument that TikTok is given a way to expose what's going on. Right. No, I, I understand. Uh, and uh, my, I guess the where I was going was. I, mean, I don't want to say it, it's beneficial, but it's. Good yeah, to no, know. I'm not so concerned with the with the how as I am with the what, uh, with with the fact that there there are. I mean, I've seen them. Um, people that are are trying to influ- Let's call it influence rather than groom. Uh, influence younger people uh, in terms of sexuality, in terms of of gender. And it seems, and you're right, I guess if you watch that type of content, you'll get more of it. But it seems to me that it just, it seems to be on, there's an uptick. And I I can't help but notice it. And I don't even have little kids in school, you know, but I feel like every time I turn around, I'm hearing another story that's kind of weird, or I'm reading another story that, that, that is um, leading in that direction. And, and I think this is one of those things that, genuinely doesn't help if that makes sense no it doesn't help and you're a parent i'm a parent and there's millions of parents out there that that really need to be careful about what their kids are doing on these electronic devices really have to pay attention to what's going on in the social media world because we were lucky when we were growing up we didn't have to worry uh, about any of this poison, you know, and it, it's weird because we were thrown out of the house when the sun came up and then we came back for dinner. We drank out of garden hoses and we survived all that. Yeah. But you look at what's <laughs> happening today with the children today. Uh, many of them are becoming zombies. I mean, you know, and we see it. We see them just being addicted to these phones, watching video after video, after video, after video. Even when I walk into a classroom today, so it used to be you walk into the classroom And all the college students, they're all rowdy. They're talking to each other. They're making friends. They're doing what young people are supposed to do. Today, I'll walk into a classroom. It'll be 8 o'clock in the morning. Nobody thinks to turn on the light in the classroom. They're all sitting there in the dark, and the glow's off their phone. You could just see it reflect off their faces. And it's, (laughs) you know, I put on the lights. I explain to them, like, you're allowed to turn on a light switch. You're allowed to touch it. Don't worry about that. And you can talk to each other. I know them by tears. So you can talk to each other, make friends, and live that experience. But you see how the, the, the social changes that are going on in younger people today, and it is a cause for concern. Yeah. You know, that just reminds me of, I was in the cell phone business for a brief part of my career. 
And I remember about 1999, 2000, uh, there was a cell phone rep that came by and he was saying, I remember him telling me, you know, texting is going to be a really big thing. It's going to come here. He said, right now it's in Europe. In Europe, he said, you know, if you go to Italy, everybody's texting. Everybody looks down. Nobody crossing the street. They're just, you know, just texting away. They don't even talk to each other on the phones. And I was like, I can't imagine a world where you don't call people. Like, why would I want to write like a, a short message to somebody rather than call them? I remember the, those are my thoughts. And uh, here we are. I mean, I, I can't stop at a stop sign without seeing that. And I text all day long myself. So it, it's, uh, I think you might be on to something. We're going to continue our discussion with Professor Nick Giordano from Campus Reform and your calls as well. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. few years, TikTok has become a cesspool for LGBTQ activists to target children with propaganda. Take Jeffrey Marsh, a transgender activist who famously makes TikToks directed at kids telling them to cut off contact with their parents. Jeffrey has a large following on TikTok where he constantly puts out videos directing kids to speak to him privately and not to trust their parents. He even links his Patreon in his TikTok bio where he offers kids the opportunity to have a private consultation with him. He's using TikTok to prey on vulnerable kids. That is predatory behavior. That is Florida Congresswoman Kat Kamek. Our guest is Professor Nick Giordano. You know him from the PAS Report podcast. He's also a fellow at Campus Reform's Higher Education Fellowship and a professor uh, at the, uh, geez, what's the name of that school again? <laughs> I can't believe I'm forgetting it. Anybody? Anybody? There we go. Thank you. Forgive me. My my screen froze and I couldn't get to it on time. Uh, anyway, Professor, I wanted to um, pivot to to your, your piece because while TikTok is messing children up, uh, or at least, you know, going after children with grooming. Uh, they're also kind of revolting at the higher education level and with the same type of MO, right? With uh, this left-wing ideology that seems to be seeping in at every angle. It is. It's permeating through all aspects of society. And realistically, it actually starts at the college campus and it has now filtered out into all aspects of life. But when you look at it, now the college campuses were the ones that started with speech codes and then banning of speakers and feeding this culture out there where, you know, distrust, uh, you know, parents and it's amazing how college has changed, right? It used to be like, don't conform to the system and fight against the conformity and don't trust government. Right. Now it's don't trust your parents and trust the government. And that hasn't really worked out so well for us. <laughs> but you look at it and you actually see when the shift occurred. So, you know, starting in like 2005, 2006, you started to see a lot of the old school professors begin to retire. Now, many of them were to the left. But when you were in their classroom, they enjoyed debate, they enjoyed dialogue, they understood the importance of actual education and the importance of questioning things. 
they may have been communists in some cases, but they still respected the founding of the country. They respected the, the founding fathers. Today, many of those positions from the retiring professors are being filled by younger professors that haven't really been educated. They're not masters of the subject material, and they're ideologues. They're not real professors. They're not educators. They, they think that just because they went through undergraduate degree, then they went to grad school, they got their PhD, and then they went into a classroom, they think that they're smarter than everyone else and that they have all the answers. But they've never been in the real world, right? So theory doesn't always apply to reality. In fact, most of the time it doesn't apply. Anyone that's held a real job, which I actually did prior to teaching full-time, uh, you, you know that, that you're not going to be looking in page 134 in a textbook to find an answer when you're at work. It just doesn't work out that way. But you have these ideologues on college campuses that have fed this culture of entitlement where, where students think that they can do whatever they want. And all you have to do is look at the recent example of what took place in Stanford, right? You had the Fifth Circuit Court judge that was going to give a speech. And students were berating him. They were verbally abusing him. I mean, totally unacceptable behavior. And then you have a dean that came in, and you think that the dean would stand up and say, this is unacceptable behavior. This is not how you act in a law school. You're supposed to be future lawyers, so stop acting like obnoxious, spoiled brats. Instead, she laces into the Fifth Circuit Court judge and just piles on. And so you see exactly what's happened in society and where we've kind of gone off the rails. Now they want to bring what's going on at the college level down as young as kindergarten. And that's where you change. It's no longer about indoctrination. Now it's just about full-on brainwashing and pushing a political agenda. And I think this is where, where we are lamentably. And it's not a good place to be. Now, Professor Nick Giordano, let everybody know how they can follow the work that you're doing and how they can keep in touch with you. Sure. They can go to PASReport.com, CampusReform.org. Those are two great websites, valuable resources on those websites. And on any social media platform, at PASReport or Nicholas Giordano, you'll be able to find me and connect with me there. And if anyone has information going on on college campuses, let us know. You know, contact at campusreform.org. Now, with um, what about a half a minute to go? Um, what is coming down the pipe for you? I know you're always uh, writing a new column. I see you in the New York Post, and you're all over the place. What's next? Well, I got two pieces that are going to be going out. One's going to be on DEI, but offering alternative solutions. The other one's going to be about the infection taking place on college campuses. Outstanding. Professor Nick Giordano, thank you for joining me, sir. We got to do it again soon. Thank you for having me on. You bet. All right, folks, give him a follow. Check him out. PAS Report, excellent podcast. More to come straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. Professor Mark Hall is up next. Do you agree that the Chinese government has persecuted the Uyghur population? 
Congresswoman, you, if you use our app and you open it, you will find our users who that's get not, all sorts of content. That's not my question. My question is, do you agree that the Chinese government has persecuted the Uyghur population? Well, it's really concerning to hear about all accounts of human rights abuse. My role here is to explain what our platform does on this. It's a pretty easy question. Do you agree that the Chinese government has persecuted the Uyghur population? Congresswoman, I'm here to describe TikTok and what we do as a platform. And as All a right. platform, we allow our users to freely express All their right. views on this issue Earlier and any today, other issue that matters to them. Well, you didn't answer the question. That is uh, Congresswoman Debbie Lesko from Arizona uh, questioning So Chu, the uh, CEO of TikTok, respect, with respect to the genocide of Uyghur Muslims being persecuted and in some cases uh, other uh, other like murdered for their faith and religious liberty doesn't come easily in China as we saw in today's hearing on TikTok and it, it, sadly lamentably it doesn't come easy in a lot of places including the United States right? there's a there's a, a push right now one parent wants the bible removed from schools in Utah saying it's pornographic now this particular parent saying that there's a lot of sensitive material. Uh, listen to this quote, get this porn out of our schools. This is what the uh, anonymous parent put in their very scathing request at a Davis high school, calling the Bible one of the most sex ridden books around. And that's what's happening. You know, this parent says that the, the Bible has uh, incest, uh, bestiality, prostitution, genital mutilation, fellatio, rape, and even infanticide. And this is why there's such a cause for removal. Now, it's no surprise that religious liberty is under attack. That happens pretty regularly, sadly. Uh, But it seems to be getting worse. And to help us make sense of it is uh, a friend of the program, Professor Mark David Hall. He's the Herbert Hoover Distinguished Professor of Politics at George Fox University. And we're going to talk about his book, Proclaim Liberty, throughout all the land, how Christianity has advanced freedom and equality for all Americans. Professor, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Rich. You bet. I hope you've been well. And I want, you know, I want to get your, um, your, your, your reaction to the stuff that's going on in, in the world and, and a lot about your new book, because it seems that a lot of people seem to think that everything's going along as, as planned, uh, or at least, you know, kind of status quo, if you will. And I don't know that that seems to be the case. Yeah, well, I think that's exactly right, especially with respect to religious liberty. And we have to recognize that religious liberty is a relatively new phenomenon. I, I would say, you know, we got inklings of religious toleration in the 17th, early 18th century, really, I would say America led the way in advancing religious liberty for all in the 18th century. By the time we got to the 1960s, really everyone in America agreed, liberals and and conservative Democrats and Republicans, that religious liberty was very important. It should be respected whenever possible. It should be protected um, unless the state had a very compelling interest in not protecting it. When the U.S. Supreme Court in the early 1990s in the Employment for Employment Division versus Smith removed protections from religious liberty, 
Republicans and Democrats came together in 1993 in the Religious Freedom Restoration Act to restore the, the previously high protections for religious liberty. It's really only been in the 21st century that mostly progressives have pulled away from religious liberty. And it, not for everyone. They still protect the ability of Native Americans to use peyote and religious ceremonies. But when it comes especially to conservative Christians, um, say a baker or a florist who can't participate in the same-sex wedding ceremony, they say, not at all. The law is the law, no religious liberty for you. And this is a very distressing trend. Yeah. Now, Professor Mark David Hall, I think this has been a a, um, a contentious topic throughout history. But in my opinion, and um, and I'm hoping you, you'll agree and, and add to the conversation, Christianity has really been a benefit, something for good in the United States, historically speaking. That's exactly the argument of my book, Proclaim Liberty Throughout All the Land. So I'm explicitly pushing back against the 1619 Project and many academics that say Christianity has primarily been a force of oppression, that we've only seen advances when people have abandoned Christianity or have embraced Enlightenment rationalism. I think that's exactly false. From the pilgrims to the present day, I think Christianity has very oftentimes been the motivating force for advances of liberty and equality for all. Now, I have to say, and it would be foolish if I didn't say, of course, some Christians have appealed to the Bible or Christianity or Christian theology to support slavery or the oppression of women, or to support poverty, or things like this. So I know Christianity has been used for ill purposes, but on balance, it has been a it's been a major force for the advancement of liberty and equality for all Americans. How is that, and why is that getting perverted? Now that's a very good question. I'm not sure I have the the, the complete answer to that. Definitely within the academy, the elite academy especially, the Ivy Leagues, the major research universities, and this sort of thing, most professors are not persons of faith, certainly not persons committed to traditional forms of Christianity. They tend to be political progressives. And so I think they tend to see Christianity and maybe religion in general, but in America, the main religion we're talking about is Christianity as a force for oppression, a force that has to be overcome. And I think this in, this in, oh, trinkles down, as I suppose we might say, to popular authors, to journalists and others, um, the authors of the 1619 Project, that then reiterate these, these ideas that basically Christianity has always been used as a force for oppression. And of course, there's always things they can link their arguments to, right? You have preachers in the 19th century that appeal to the Bible to support slavery, and they mm. emphasize these things while completely ignoring the Christian abolitionists that sacrificed a great deal to oppose the institution of slavery, even though there is in no way, shape, or form you could say this was in their self-interest to do so. Yeah, and there's a long line from William Wilberforce straight to Abraham Lincoln, uh, but you're right, it gets it gets forgotten, it falls through the cracks. Uh, let's pivot to the Constitution. Um, oftentimes, the other day I had a sidebar conversation with with uh, our our studio crew, and we were talking about the separation of church and state and how that's not even found in the founding documents, uh, but 
moreover, it was found in a letter, um, you know, during a campaign. <laughs> so uh, my, my, my thinking here is why do we hold on to this or why does some within the left uh, hold on to this as, as a means to, um, I guess, um, dilute the message? Yeah, that's a super question. So in 1947, in the case of Everson versus Board of Education, the U.S. Supreme Court, in the decision, um, in both the majority and the dissent, said clearly that the First Amendment, the Establishment Clause specifically in this case, must be understood in light of the founders' views. But unfortunately, Justices Rutledge and Black went on to say that Jefferson and, and Madison equal the American founders. Jefferson and Madison wanted the strict separation of church and state, and there's, therefore we are, we are stuck with, where we're required to enforce the strict separation of church and state. And this led to at least 15, maybe 60 years of horrible jurisprudence, ridiculous jurisprudence. Basically, the, um, the, the key problem with this, there's a number of problems. If you go back and look at the views of Jefferson and Madison, they certainly did not even act in their professional, in their political capacities, as if there was a separation of church and state. But if we turn our eyes beyond those two, we see the founders in no way, shape, or form embraced the idea that there should be a separation of church and state. Now, they did not want an established church. They clearly did not want there to be a church of the United States of America. There's no question about that. And by extension, through the 14th Amendment, states cannot have established churches. So New York, Virginia, South Carolina can't have established churches either. And yet there's no reason at all to think that you can't have, for instance, religious monuments on public land, that the Blandensburg Cross, this World War I era cross in Maryland, has to come down or be destroyed somehow because of the Establishment Clause, or that Ohio can't have a Star of David in its, its Holocaust Memorial or that you can't have state funds going to fund Jewish schools and Muslim schools and Christian schools on an equal basis with other private schools. These things are clearly constitutional, and yet progressives hate these, these, these sorts of outcomes. And so they pretend as if there was a, a, a strict separation of church and state or a wall of separation of church and state built in to the First Amendment. And there's just simply no good historical argument to that end. All right, when we come back, I want you to just uh, pull on the thread of that a little bit more to discuss why uh, the left uh, and, and critics of of um, Christianity prefer this method of eliminating religion. So don't go anywhere. We're on with the author of Proclaim Liberty Throughout All the Land, How Christianity Has Advanced Freedom and Equality for All Americans. Professor Mark David Hall, we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Professor Mark David Hall. He's the Herbert Hoover Distinguished Professor of Politics at George Fox University. And we're talking about his brand new book, Proclaim Liberty Throughout All the Land, How Christianity Has Advanced Freedom and Equality for All Americans. And we left off with my question. And the question I posited was, why does the 
movement uh, of the left or the critics of Christianity and the church, why do they insist on an environment that is um, devoid of religion that that exists in the absence of God, Professor? Yeah, that's a great question. Let me take a step back and point you to my last book, Did America Have a Christian Founding? I think in that book, I demonstrate, I think absolutely, that there's no good argument that America's founders wanted the strict separation of church and state. In the new book, Proclaim Liberty Throughout All the Land, I address the question, where did this idea come from? And clearly, historically, it arose in the 19th century because of anti-Catholicism. Basically, when we started having public schools, those public schools were Protestant schools. The King James Bible version of the Bible was read, Protestant prayers were said, and Catholics objected, reasonably so. They said, look, we want to have our own schools where a Catholic version of the Bible is read, and we have religion um, taught by priests and that sort of thing. And, And all of a sudden, Americans discovered, Protestants Americans, and I say this as a Protestant, Protestant Americans discovered this idea that there must be a separation of church and state, that we can't fund sectarian schools. Now, what they meant by that very clearly, indisputably clearly, was that we can't fund Roman Catholic schools, but it's perfectly fine to have public schools be Protestant schools. My home state of Oregon went so far in 1922 as to abolish private schools. Now, it just so happens that every private school in the state but one was a Roman Catholic school. Again, it was clearly motivated <laughs> by anti-Catholic motivate, m- m- animus. Um, in, in the 1940s, an organization was founded, Protestants and Other Americans United for Separation of Church and State. This organization is still with us today. It's just nowadays oh, yeah. called Americans and Others United for Separation of Pure anti-Catholic animus. Now, Protestants went along with this, and I say this you know, somewhat abashedly. I'm ashamed of it. I'm a Protestant. Um, but they went along with this until the U.S. Supreme Court took this idea in the 1960s and said, guess what? The Establishment Clause prohibits teacher-led prayer in public school, teach uh, you know, Bible reading in public school. And all of a sudden, Protestants woke up and said, what the heck? What's going on? And Catholics and Protestants united to push back against this notion of separationism since i would say the early 70s into the 80s really those who want a strict separation of church and state don't like religion they don't want to see religious monuments on public land the Blandensburg cross monuments of the ten commandments the star of david they're pushing back against religion and they're pretty uniform about this it doesn't matter if it's the star of david that's still bad we don't want any religious symbols on public land We don't want state money to go to any religious school, be it a Jewish school, a Hindu school, a Muslim school, a Protestant school, a um, Catholic school. Yes, I think it's just a general animus against religion. And, you know, they want to control everything, right? They want everyone to go to public schools who are uh, which are then neutral with respect to religion, by which they mean religion never comes up, which is another word for secularism. What is the benefit of a secular society? You know, I'm, I'm not sure I'm prepared to argue for a benefit of secular society. What I would argue for is a benefit of neutrality. So I'm really against the state imposing orthodoxies of any sort. I hate the idea of a state that would inform, that would impose my form of Protestantism on others. 
I hate the idea of a state that would impose Catholicism on others. And I hate the idea of a state that would impose secularism on others. What I think we should do is have a neutrality. So, for instance, I love what I see in many states where many states are saying to parents, send your kids to whatever schools you think are best. And, of course, we'll have some broad— They call it liberty. (laughs) Yeah, they call it liberty. Exactly. And we'll have some broad qualifications. They have to teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. They can't incite people to violence and that sort of thing. But you want to send your kid to a Jewish school? Do that. You want to send them to a Protestant school? Do that. You want to send them to a Catholic school? Do that. That's called liberty. That's called freedom. It's called equality. Um, It's what I think this nation was founded upon, and it's where we should go in the future. I agree. And again, I just want to remind everybody, the book is called Proclaim Liberty Throughout All the Land, How Christianity Has Advanced Freedom and Equality for All Americans. The author, Professor Mark David Hall. We're coming right back to wrap it up. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. The book is Proclaim Liberty Throughout All the Land, How Christianity Has Advanced Freedom and Equality for All Americans. I recommend getting a couple of copies of this brand new book. And the author of the book, Professor Mark David Hall. Professor, is it too late for the United States to preserve religious liberty? You know, I don't think so. Fortunately, we have an excellent Supreme Court that is very strong on these things. We have wonderful religious liberty advocacy groups, the Alliance Defending Freedom, First Liberty, Backup Fund, Christian Legal Society, and others. I think these are wonderful organizations, and we should all consider supporting them with our uh, with extra money we might have. So, yeah, I would say things are looking good. Now, there are powerful forces arrayed against religious liberty, especially with respect to conservative religious people. And by conservative religious people, I don't just mean Christians. I mean conservative Jews, conservative Muslims, and others. Um, But if we unite and if we recognize that we must protect the ability of every American to be able to worship God according to dictates of conscience and to act upon this conviction wherever possible, I, I think we can win that battle. Professor Mark David Hall, let everybody know how they can get a copy of this book. The easiest way is just go to Amazon and pre-order it. It will be released on April 11th. Pre-orders are much appreciated. Amazon, if there are a lot of pre-orders, will order more copies, and this results in all sorts of good things. So let me encourage your listeners to do that, please. And if they want to follow you or learn more about the work that you're doing, where do they go? Well, my wife made a very nice website for me, markdavidhall.org, and you can learn everything you need to know about me there. Outstanding, Professor. Good to talk to you. Hope to do it again soon. Hey, thanks so much, Rich. I really appreciate it. God bless. Straight ahead, Open Phone America. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. Be heard on our platform. Open Phone America, coming up next.
Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way. And our telephone number, if you want to join the conversation on our late night national live town hall forum, feel free to do so. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, let's, um, let's start off here. There's a few stories that I want to discuss, and uh, one of them is a tease from CBS News um, asking the question, that the blockbuster website is active and fans are speculating about a comeback. What is the status of the company? And of course, I'm talking about blockbuster video, right? And I was talking about this earlier with Mr. Hinton because I was thinking, man, how cool is that? I loved going to Blockbuster, and when they were gone in my area, Hollywood Video took over, and I liked Hollywood Video too. It was a it was a really unique experience going to the video store and mingling and meeting people and seeing other people and overhearing their conversations and critiques about films. So I I thought, man, that would be so cool because now it's you're limited in many ways to just whomever is your Netflix partner, right? You're just like, you know, that's it. That's what we've got. And some people even do their Netflixing on their phone while they're on the train, while they're here, while they're there. So it, it's just not what it was. It was so cool to go pick out a movie and, uh, and you know, buy the microwave popcorn and all that stuff. I, I just thought that was a nice part of history that I enjoyed. So the question is, will Blockbuster be making a comeback? I'll get to that in a moment. But there's also the rumor that Chevrolet may not be making the Chevy Camaro anymore. Plus, we've got a story about inflation hitting not only street carts like um, hot dogs and bodegas in New York City, but you also got the famous Dollar Pizzeria, Two Bros, right? The Two Brothers Pizzeria. Two Bros is all over the city. There's, I don't know, half a dozen, a dozen locations. And they're known for their dollar slice of pizza in New York City, and they're going up to a buck fifty. So we're going to talk about the how inflation, fifty percent inflation, is is hitting uh, Two Bros Pizzeria. But first, I want to start off with this story, and this is a story of an off-duty pilot who helped land a Southwest jet after the captain had a medical emergency on the plane mid-flight. That's right. Uh, and he was incapacitated by this medical emergency. Flight 6013 took off from Las Vegas just after 6.30 a.m. on a Wednesday when one of its on-duty pilots needed medical attention on the way to Columbus, Ohio. Now, a credentialed pilot from another airline was on board that flight, entered the flight deck, and assisted with radio communication while the Southwest uh, First Officer flew the uh, aircraft. And uh, that's pretty interesting, right? You're on a plane and all of a sudden, you know, the captain is out, the first officer is in, and then another off-duty captain happened to be there and served as the first officer. So lucky them. That sounds great. Uh, you know, if you're in that situation, I ideally don't want to be in that situation at all. But I'm wondering, for those of you out there 
in Radioland and want to join this conversation. Have you ever been on a plane where they've had to swap out the captain? I'd love to hear that story. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ, and my last name, Valdez. You can also check us out at Rich Valdez with an S at the end on all of these social media, as well as signing up for the podcast or listening to previous episodes. People always say, how can I hear the show? You can listen live. We have a listen live link there. The website is richvaldezamericaatnight.com, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. And you can listen live. You can subscribe to the podcast. However you listen to podcasts, you can play it right off the website. You got all the old programs. You could see the lineup on those programs. It's a really fun website. And I recommend you, um, check it out frequently. Plus you could sign up for the uh, newsletter. So do that as well. Anyway, let us go to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. KDKA Anthony is chiming in with a conversation on our last guest. Anthony, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Thank you. Yes. Very timely to have your last guest on talking about how Christians are, I don't know, pushed to the back of the bus sometimes here or bashed, vilified, whatever. Um, much has been going on lately with a number of NHL teams having Pride Night where the teams have Pride-themed jerseys and they can wear rainbow tape on their sticks. But there's a few players who don't want to participate because they you know, don't believe in the LGBTQ agenda. And these players are just vilified across social media, being called bigots and hate mongers and homophobes and all sorts of things like that. And it's, you know, it's just the way the leftists are. They'll invent terms and then accuse you of all sorts of things like that. You know, Anthony, it's, it's a, a very unfortunate day in America where you have the liberty to be whoever you want to be and live whatever lifestyle you have, but others don't have the liberty to do what they want to do. And, and it's, it's very unfortunate and we see it a lot. And I, I'm not here to tell people how to live their lives or what to do, but I am here to say, don't get in the way of me living mine and don't force me to live mine the way you live yours. You know, so if I don't want to wear this, I don't want to wear it. If I don't want to put that, I don't want to put it. Now, if it's a condition of your employment and that's what you signed up for, then, Hey, that's on you. And if you want to fight that battle, you can, but, uh, listen, I, I, I get it. I get where you're coming from. Uh, people should have a right to do what it is that they want to do. And, and if, if that's what it means, that's what it means. And they shouldn't have to come under persecution either way. I, I don't think we should be persecuting people because they choose to live an alternative lifestyle or that we should be persecuting people who are, you know, not uh, subscribing to the idea that we want to wear a special Jersey and because they don't participate in that uh, either way. I think we shouldn't be singling people out. Now I have a question for you, Anthony, uh, you ever been on a plane where they, just swapped out the pilot? No, but yeah. that's why Me you have two either. pilots. So if something happens to one, um, there's a bat, there's a, another pilot there because you can, exactly. you know, one pilot can land an aircraft. And um, Well, in this situation, there was three. Lucky them. Yes. Well, it's, you know, you will often see, uh, having previously worked in the airline industry, um, it's not uncommon for there to be other uh uh, flight crews either from your airline or another airline trying to you know get to a city because they have to um you know either they, they got to work in another city or they're on the way to work yeah 
Yeah. So I did. I had seen that story, and boy, that must have been something. I hope the um, uh, the pilot who was incapacitated was okay. Yeah, me too. I'm glad I, I picked the right guy to ask that question to. <laughs> with, with your experience, uh, cool. I didn't. I never thought of that perspective that you have these different fl- flight crews in the air trying to get where they got to go. So that kind of gives me a little bit of um, optimism, thinking should that ever happen to me, maybe there is a, another pilot on board. Anthony, thanks for the call. I appreciate your listenership from KDKA out in Pittsburgh, and we're going to get to the rest of your calls and the rest of these stories straight ahead. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America. Welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Now, I, I want to get to a couple of things, right? Because we we're talking about foodflation, right? Foodflation. There's there's several stories out there where people just can't afford to uh, do things the way they used to. It's a very expensive proposition to um, to eat. Right. I got three stories right in front of me here. Uh, This one's from ABC 11. Dollar Tree can't afford to sell eggs anymore. Now, this is from uh, over the weekend. And I think I teased this on Monday. Didn't really get through it. But this is actually an occurrence here. Eggs are so expensive that Dollar Tree, who now sells everything for $1.25, it just doesn't make sense for them to sell eggs because it would cost them $3 or $5. So they're just going to stop selling eggs at their stores because the company can't make any money offering them at these flat prices. Eggs have surged because of the deadly avian flu. They had to kill 5 million chickens, and they've got high production costs, and, of course, inflation is is there. Uh, Egg producers are trying to cash in, according to this article. I don't know that that's the case, Uh, but it says that Egg cost has gone up 38%. I read an article that said egg cost was up 68%, uh, but annually, and it's 55% for shoppers. So 38% for producers, 55% for shoppers. Um, eggs are starting to get cheaper, I guess, because they are now have the the hens in place, if you will, that, that were killed during the um, avian flu outbreak. But just fascinating to me that this is what's going on with... Um, with with eggs at Dollar Tree. Now, there's another story. New York Post. This is I, I caught my eye. Hot dogs. Street vendors are jacking up the price of classic New York dirty water dogs. And simple bodega staples like, you know, things that you would buy. Like a loose cigarette known as a Lucy. These things used to cost, I think, 50 cents. They're all going up. Even two bros, the, the the famous pizza place that I was talking about, they're going up to a dollar fifty. So, interestingly, now I've paid three bucks for a hot dog before, but I guess it depends where you are, what location you're in, if you're closer to something, depending on the part of town you're in. But for the most part, yeah, I think they've been a dollar fifty or two bucks for the longest time, and um, yeah, inflation's hitting them too. 
It's 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 not um, nobody is immune to the inflation. Now, here's a quote from uh, one of the vendors says these customers don't like it. They say it's too expensive, but everything's costing me more, says uh, the uh, vendor who operates best hot dogs in New York City on 49th and 6th. So if he's paying more, you got to pay more. The um, office workers are still lining up for the dirty water dogs, but the crowds just uh, they just complain. (laughs) So hopefully he's going to continue to get more business, uh, despite the fact that that's still happening. But we shall see what happens with inflation. Let us go to your calls. 833, the number four Valdez, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Iowa, K-B-I-Z. Check in with Kenny. Hey, Kenny, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, Rich. Uh, Gee, I love your show. I just love it. I mean, it's so great. So great. Thank you. And, uh, but I wanted to make reference to a Seinfeld episode that addresses this thing about uh, if you support any cause like you know, transsexual people and stuff like that, if you support them even the least little bit, you know, say, okay, you have a right to live your life. You, you may be support. Enough is never enough. The classic Seinfeld episode where he went out, Mar- Kramer was marching in his gay pride parade and two gay guys come up to him and say, you're not wearing the pin. You're not wearing the pin. Kramer said, but I don't want to wear the pin. He said, but you must wear the pin. <laughs> but he said, but I'm marching, man. And enough is never enough. If you give an inch, it seems like they take a mile. And that's on various things. I mean, anything. Enough. Well, like the reparations for the black folks. I mean... Enough will never be enough. I know that instinctively. I mean, and that's you know, all Kenny, I really have uh, to I, say. I love your show. Oh, thank you, and and I appreciate you listening. And and I and I, I tend to agree with you. I think that there is, and, and irrespective of of whether it's LGBTQ or reparations or any of that, I believe that there are malcontents, right? And I learned that in this business, talk radio, I realized that there are people that are going to call me, email me, you name it, Facebook me, whatever, that are going to tell me things like, you got to stop saying Valdez with an S. I hate it. Stop calling yourself a liberty-loving Latino amigo. This is America. Speak English. I mean, the things that I get. And it just, it. I can never, ever please everybody. It'll never happen, especially when you take over a time slot that had someone else in it. You know, and I guess in radio, there's always been somebody else in a time slot. But it's not always somebody who was a huge figure, like in this one, where we, two huge figures, Larry King and Jim Bohannon. So, you know, I, I get it all. I get all the critique, you know, you, you're no this, you're no that, you'll never be this, you'll never be that, blah, 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 and blah. I get them all. And all I could say is I will never be able to please everybody, Kenny. None of us will, because there are certain people that are just malcontent. And in life, their job is to point out that which is negative. Their job is to be the squeaky wheel that gets the oil. Their job is to complain and never provide a solution. And I tell them they should get into talk radio, too, <laughs> because sometimes that's that's all we've got out here is uh, pointing out the, the interesting nuance that we see in life. But you, you got to keep moving, right? That's all you can do. Like you said, for some people, you give them an inch, they want a mile. That's just how it goes. Big shout out to everybody listening on KBIZ. Very kind words. Kenny, thank you so much. I appreciate it. 
Uh, let us continue our conversation and our journey across the country from Iowa to Pennsylvania, WXDE, Shanksville. Let's check in with our friend Sue. Hey, Sue. Hey, how's it going? Wonderful, thank you. What's on your mind tonight? Yeah, the Blockbuster thing. Boy, did you strike a nerve there. I used to love to go to Blockbuster and peruse the aisles. I'm not into these mainstream, you know, franchise-type movies. I couldn't care less about that. I like to go in there and, and peruse the foreign films. That was a big thing I used to love to do. And uh, the old movies that were really classics, really great ones, you can't find any of that stuff on Netflix. You know, I don't have cable or any of that. And so I got Netflix out of, you know, desperation. But, hey, nine times out of ten, I don't see anything on there that I'm interested in watching. And the foreign films, you're lucky if you get a decent Indian movie. That's about it, you know. I'm like, I Oh, Bollywood? Yeah, Bollywood fun. is pretty cool. I don't watch a lot of it. When I do, I think it's pretty cool. And you're right. Uh, I go through Netflix and I go through movie and movie and movie and show and show. And unless it's something simple, like the the caller right before you said something about Seinfeld, or you find an old show that you like or a particular series. I mean, there are things on Netflix I've watched, but I'd say 98% yeah. of what I flip through with my remote, I don't watch I'll, and I'll probably never watch. You know, because there's only like a handful of things that I do watch. But yeah, I agree with you. It was such a cool experience. I loved going to Blockbuster and to the, their competitor soon after they were shut down. I went to Hollywood Video, which actually I liked more. It was brighter. It was nicer. It wasn't as dingy. The people were nicer. Um, I felt like the, the membership had better privileges. It was just cool. But um, it was such an idea. And then, you know, they had those red boxes where you would go and rent the DVD from that vending machine that was outside of like a 7-Eleven or whatever. And it began to slowly dissipate to now where the movie's in your pocket, the movie's right there at your fingertips, and it's not even as fun as it used to be, Sue. Oh, no, and I used to love to read the backs of it, you know, like the whole, you know, that would explain the whole story and all that. And I would say, geez, is this going to be a sexy enough movie for me or what, you know? And they always had that back room where they had triple X movies. You could go in there. You know, it was kind of fun. I it was just it was great to just go and peruse, you know, and just You know, yeah, Blockbuster didn't have that. But you know what, Sue? They they there was a place, Goldman's Deli, right by me on Avenue M, uh, when I lived in Brooklyn. And they did. They had that section in the back where, you know, the kids weren't allowed to go and they had all those um triple X movies and I was I always wondered, what's back there? What's back there? You know, it's crazy how life changes and how um, things evolve in that industry. Anyway, Sue, good call. Uh, We're continuing our conversation with all of you. 833-4-VALDEZ. Give us a call. We'll be right back. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDES. The Legacy Line is open. And if you're in one of, if you're listening on one of our affiliates in Oregon or Alaska, uh, then uh, pay attention to this because, you know, the last Blockbuster video that was in operation before the one in Oregon was the one in Alaska. And it shut down in 2019, making the one in Oregon to be the final 
destination, the final, the final, the lone ranger, if you will, with um, blockbuster video stores. Now, some of you don't remember it. Some of you totally remember it. Uh, it was a big thing in the 80s and 90s <clears throat> going to Blockbuster. And that's what the uh, the deal is. But there's a there's speculation here because the website is active again. And they're showing things that are going on. Fans are sharing theories about what's going on with this website as well as their memories of picking up videos and video games back in the days. So uh, I'm wondering with our listeners, what do you think? Is Blockbuster making a comeback? Could it make a comeback? Would that be a thing? Would How would you play a movie? Would it be a, obviously not a VHS? I mean, I don't think so. Although we did a story not too long ago that said CDs were selling a lot. And then when they compared CDs to vinyl, vinyl outsold CD. So do you think VHS makes a comeback or are these like Blu-ray discs? I don't know. What say you? I'd love to get your thoughts on this. 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, while Blockbuster was a mainstay for many families back in the 80s and 90s, the on-demand movie options that are now available, like Netflix and whatnot, have made 300 stores shut down. That's horrible. The company had tried to adapt uh, to the movie rental landscape, but it just didn't work. Netflix was able to adapt. Blockbuster wasn't. And they, they started, I don't know if you remember, they were mailing them out. And that was their, their way of doing it. Anyway, the uh, Blockbuster brand was sold to, sa- to a satellite TV company named Dish in 2011 for, for $320 million. Wow. That's cool. Uh, They owned the licensing rights and created Blockbuster On Demand, a library of thousands of movies that are available to Dish customers as a standalone app, although that app is no longer available. Wow. Imagine that. Imagine buying an app for $320 million and then the app being obsolete just, you know, I don't know, three or four years later. In 2021, Blockbuster decentralized their autonomous organization and... uh, with the goal of acquiring the Blockbuster brand again from Dish. So this is the um, the Decentralized Autonomous Organization, or DAO, is an entity that has no central governing body, unlike a corporation with executives or board members at the top, and they typically only use cryptocurrency in their transactions. So the Blockbuster DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organization, has renamed uh, their organization Rewind. And they had a goal of raising $5 million to buy the brand from Dish. The Blockbuster brand is not only nostalgic, is their statement, but it's historic. It's a landmark in the history of film. The DAO's account tweeted back in December of 2021. Despite its uh, brand recognition, the company was destroyed by terrible leadership with an inability to pivot and make the right decisions. So here we are now. The DAO said that there are several options for the company after it's bought, including crafting an NFT uh, streaming platform or distributing films to theaters. Rewind has become a video platform for creators and said they've had 13 meetings with Dish about this acquisition. Unfortunately, the idea of wholly acquiring the Blockbuster brand was shut down immediately 
Dish had spent $320 million on that brand back in 2011, and they believed it was still worth more than any community like ours would be able to raise, according to what DAO put on their website. CBS News uh, hasn't added any updates to this uh, since they put the article out. So it's unclear if Blockbuster's um, newly active website is active just for PR purposes or if something's actually going to happen. But the location in Bend, Oregon is the only last standing Blockbuster location. Ain't that something? Anyway, let us uh, go to your calls. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ. Ed, welcome to the program. Ed's calling in from Atlantic City, New Jersey on WOND. Welcome, brother. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hi, Rich. It's my first time calling into your show. Welcome. Um, Thank you for doing that. Yes, I I did used to call in with the late Jim Bohannon, though. I I call sometimes. Wonderful. It's my first time calling you. So, yes, two things I'm going to try to touch on. Number one, my my partner happened to manage Blockbuster videos. All right? He managed Blockbuster videos for at least 15 years during the time. Uh, they loved them over there. We got perks from them. We went to Walt Disney World on them. They treated them cool. very, very well. And uh, it was a shame because as, as they began to have trouble, the, the owners, they owned about five different places down there, began to have trouble getting backing and finance from the major, from the major corporations. Mm. Uh, and that was the first sign that things were going wrong. And we're going down, and it just got worse from there. And it's same, but he enjoyed working there for a while, and 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 had a, had his own staff and everything, and they left him alone. He did great sales, but yeah, that was a sad thing to see. But he moved on, you know, and and now it's into a different area, and in, in the in the hospitals, and working in the medical centers, and everything like that. But I just want to touch on that. Thank you. Number one, uh, yeah. I am okay. I am a. Gay, conservative, Christian male. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in a relationship for almost 30 years with the person I'm speaking of. And um, I'm, I'm a very conservative person. I, 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 I don't, my business is not everybody's. My business is my own. Who I speak right. with is my own. Okay? I don't push my, my own personal life upon anybody else. I believe in live and let live. I hear a lot of things about persecution and we're trying to change their children and we're trying to change that and make you wear this or make you bang on a flag. No, we're not. No, I'm not. You know, um, I've been many, many friends, you know, I, we have a great club down here called studio six. It was, it was a beautiful, beautiful club, very popular in the area. You know, mm-hmm. it was kept very, very nicely into the mix. They start mixing the crowds in. And after a while, they destroyed it. They destroyed that beautiful club. He went Who destroyed it? You know, they started mixing together and all like that, you know. Um, I, I, I hear a lot of things, Democrat, Republicans, they want to take books off the shelves. They want to... Uh, well, Ed, let's go back to the nightclub. Who, who destroyed the nightclub? Well, I mean, it, it was a beautiful club. It was a gay-owned club at many different levels and a big, beautiful deck, a swimming pool, hotel space all around. And they began to try to bring straight bartenders came in and brought friends. Oh, I see. And more straight people began to, and they began to mix gay straight together and all like that. And it didn't and work. It became, it didn't work. There was fights breaking out. 
It got they trashed. It got trashed. The place smelled like vomit. One time I walked in. This is many years ago. It's called the Studio Six. You can look it up. And 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 it was a beautiful, beautiful club for many, many years. And we had shows there. Fifty Cent night. I had a great birthday party. About three hundred people showed there. And it was it just just trashed. It. The police used to come there all the time. And drugs more. Well, everybody had drugs, but you know you keep quiet as a cat. But no, the cops start showing up at the door. And right. it, it completely destroyed what it used to be. And it's a sad thing. Um, you know, I, I, I just want to live my life. I have my place to myself. You know, we, got, we go out, we go dinner. I don't put my business upon anybody else. I don't want to, I'm not asking, I don't want to have nothing to do with children or I want to turn anybody's children away. All that's real. Yes, there are people, there are, some people are, are more feminine, feminine in, in them. They see themselves as feminine women. They, 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 they are who they are. I have friends who are, 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 are transvest, transsexuals, but they're my friends, and they're good people, and they live in their lives. So sometimes there's a lot of misconceptions about who gay people are or, or where they were shunned in the shadows. Do you remember we went through a lot of persecution during Stonewall? We went through a lot of—who was the young man who got hung up, a uh, 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 gay man? He, he got hung up on a fence one time and, and beaten and, th- and, and got th- uh, to death. Remember that story? There was the In New York? I, I believe it so it was. Yeah, I, I remember that story. Yeah, listen, I think everything you're saying is accurate. I, I've met plenty of people from uh, different lifestyles and, and walks of life, and, uh, and they're not trying to indoctrinate children in any way. Uh, but there is a sect of people that, that are trying to do that. And uh, and I think that's what people are calling out and, and in particular saying, be more like Ed, right? <laughs> Ed's doing his thing and let Ed do his thing, but he's not doing his thing in everybody's face where, where you know, he's forcing the way he lives on anyone else. And I think that's that's the issue, especially when it comes to doing it in public schools and just, you know, presenting this binary option to children to say, hey, look, are you. Uh, you know, are you, do you identify as a boy or as a girl or what's your gender today? That type of thing. I think these, these are concepts that I've, I've even spoken with transgendered uh, conservatives that have told me, look, I was, you know, I was born a man. I live as a woman. I feel I'm a woman. Um, and I would never recommend this to anybody who's, you know, six, seven years old or whatever, uh, taking uh, puberty blockers and whatnot. That shouldn't happen. It shouldn't be a thing. And be keeping that from parents. And I think that's the the big issue here, Ed. Do you agree if a kid wants to transition their gender that their parents should be left out of it and the teachers should do this in secret uh, away from the parent knowing? There is a very, there's a, there's a very touchy issue there because some young people have these feelings, and I know I have certain feelings that I had to keep closed in as a young man. You know, when I was 14, 15, I wasn't allowed to express and keep it to myself. thought something was wrong with me. Because a lot of young people think like that. They're young. They can't express themselves. They can't express themselves to their mothers and fathers because they'll get beaten. All right? And trust me, I, I, I had I had anywhere from the Bible thrown at me, the shepherd knife and fork seed off of for my father. All right? And this is back in the 70s, before AIDS. All right? I was given told to stay away from my younger half-brothers and sisters, and, and all that. I got my own persecution, okay? 
So, so you know, there's a, there's a, there's two different stuff. A young person needs a place, an outlet to go to and be able to express themselves and speak and be heard, and maybe even sometimes, you know, sheltered or protected. Like, okay, you're safe here. You know, they they need that place. They, they may not get it at home. They may not always get the right. right but but education. I I think. Abuse in any, whether you're gay or not, there's abusive situations at home. There are a lot of kids that can can end up um, in problems with family members and whatnot, step-parents, real parents, whatever, and what have you. I think there's always going to be those isolated incidents, or at least hopefully they're few and far between, we would hope. Uh, but I don't think it changes, you know, I think that's the exception, not the rule. I think ultimately parents have to be aware of what's going on. I don't know that kids should, you know, start collaborating or even conspiring with their teachers, keeping parents out of the loop. I just think that's unfair. But I am sorry you went through what you went through, and I appreciate the call. I'm glad you're listening to the show and you joined the conversation. And I'm looking forward to speaking with the rest of you, America. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, your calls and more, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And we were talking about several topics, one of which was people are staying home and cooking, right? So Blockbuster would come in handy right now with inflation. But it's hard to cook if they're going to take away your gas stove. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, come on, Valdez. Everybody knows they're not taking anybody's gas stoves away. Well, Jennifer Granholm, she's the Secretary of Energy. Um, she clarified. She said, look, we're not going to take your gas stove if you got an old cheap gas stove. We're only taking your gas stoves if they're really nice high-end ones. Listen to this. The gas stoves that would be impacted are high impact, high, excuse me, high end gas stoves for the, you know, the more, most expensive gas stoves. And the reason why they were, uh, they were found to be inadequate is because in many cases they have very heavy grates and the burners can be an oval shape, which causes, uh, an excess amount of natural gas to be emitted relative to the pot. That's on there. So it's just it's it's a wasteful uh, use of natural gas. (laughs) I can't help but laugh that the secretary of energy is talking about oval oval burners and how that it's just it's very wasteful. Yeah. Imagine the secretary of transportation saying, well, you know, the fact that you drive an eight cylinder car, five point four liter engine, uh, you know, it's just wasteful. You could be driving a Prius. You could drive something that's a hybrid. Uh, yeah, I could if I felt like driving that. I don't want to drive that. I want to drive a car that if I wanted to drive right through a chain link fence, I could do that. And I can do all sorts of things. And curbs are not a thing in my car, right? That's the kind of car I want to drive. And it, it seems to escape many people. If you're buying a stove, this big stainless steel stove and with heavy grates and whatever, that's what they want, right? People those buy those huge sub-zero refrigerators they want the big sub-zero refrigerator. I don't understand. I mean, I really don't. I mean, I do understand, obviously. Uh, I disagree is what I should say. 
I don't care if you don't like my choices. I guess that's the bottom line. I want the big stove. I want the big car. I want the big fridge. I want the big whatever. I'm a big guy. That's it. I don't understand how it's it's the place of the government. The government just says, hey, look, this is what it is. They should just, uh, you know, kind of like cigarettes, right? You can, you can still go buy cigarettes. It just has a little label on it. It says, hey, if you smoke these things, it can kill you. Understood. Don't buy them. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. That was a real treat. And um, I want to leave you with something I played a little earlier, but there was a piece that I omitted from uh, my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, all out crazy. She um, gave this soliloquy with respect to fascism and saying that empowering parents to have the legal authority, which they already have over their kid and reinforcing that by legislation, calling it uh, uh, parents' bill of rights or anything like that, is is a euphemism for fascism. Listen to this. They are asking the Republican Party to keep culture wars out of classrooms. Our children need urgent and aggressive educational solutions. The American Library Association coming out against this Republican proposal. When we talk about progressive values, I can say what my progressive value is, and that is freedom over fascism. Wow. I I stand so corrected. Let me tell you, I think she might have just changed my mind. That was so inspiring. Freedom over fascism. Find me somebody in America today, uh, other than like the Antifa crazies who call themselves anti-fascist, but really use fascism as their, their source of currency, if you will. Who really chooses fascism over anything, right? Nobody. Nobody's looking for fascism. We can disagree on things agreeably. We don't have to say that because you want to have the legal authority, responsibility, control, whatever it is called, um, right to your child, that somehow you're a fascist. It's a fascist Republican idea that parents should have parental rights. Come on, really? Yeah, por favor. That's enough, please. I, I don't think that's appropriate, AOC. Not even for her. Uh, anyway, the music means they're kicking me out of here, but I will be back tomorrow. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night, and we're going to do it all again tomorrow, God willing. Keep it locked right here. There's more great radio coming up on your station. I'll see you mañana. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.